I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. Today we got Carl Dive with us. Carl is the CEO of the Tri-Cities Washington Economic Development Council. So, Carl, welcome. It's good to see you, Chad. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so tell these folks where the Tri-Cities is, and we're talking Washington State, not Washington, D.C. So tell these folks where you're located. That's right. Well, the Tri-Cities of uh, Washington is in south-central Washington. We're right along the Columbia River, very close to the border of Oregon. So we're just at the very south middle part of Washington State. Yeah, so you're down there by Idaho and in the southeast corner, right? We are, yep. I came kind of literally down the Snake River from my last job in Lewiston. So Idaho's really close in Oregon. We're kind of right in the corner. Well, we did the executive search that placed you there about a year ago, and uh, we seem to be hearing good things. We've already got a chance to do another one in Washington, so I think you're doing well based on everything I'm hearing. But I remember when we did that one, the thing that surprised me is you guys were the French fry capital of the world. We always think of Idaho potatoes, but it's actually your area in Washington. And You can look at me and tell I love to eat French fries. I'm not a potato expert, but, you know, being from Idaho and Washington both, I'll just say that, it's a different kind of potato that we grow here in Washington versus what they grow in Idaho. So in Southern really? Idaho, they grow the russet, which is more your baked potato. And here we grow different varieties that lend themselves more and a little bit better to French fry production. Listen, there are places in New Orleans, they prepare those fries for weeks. They don't just throw them in the fryer. They, they soak them and they this and that and put oh, this yeah. garlic salt on them. So oh, man. I, I love good French fries. Well, talk about that region and really what makes it such a strong economy. Yeah, so we've got a really interesting area, you know, going back over 100 years when the region was first founded that kind of connects to transportation. So railroads, we've always been a railroad hub. You know, just around about 100 years ago, the Columbia River system, which is still navigable. So we have a barge system where we can connect directly to any of the seaports down the Columbia River from Portland to Vancouver to further down downstream. So we have those, you know, shipping opportunities. 
And then, you know, really World War II was when the Tri-City started to grow, and that was because of the Manhattan Project. So the same project that helped us end World War II a lot more quickly than it would have happened otherwise led to plutonium production here in the Tri-Cities through the Department of Defense originally, and then that shifted into Department of Energy. We produced most of the plutonium all the way up through the Cold War. And then, although it was a very, very tough time in the 80s and 90s when the plutonium started to shut down, we shifted to cleanup. And so federal dollars that come into the Hanford Reservation where the plutonium production was, has been focused on cleanup. And that's been a big economic driver. But through that federal relationship, 1965, Pacific Northwest National Lab was established. So it's one of the Department of Energy's national lab systems. They employ about 5,000 people locally. And that kind of leads us to the Tri-Cities actually has the highest concentration of different PhDs per capita, uh, I think, in the whole country. And so we've got that research and development base that's really connected to industry. But to the point about French fries, we are also a really, really productive irrigated agricultural area. We grow a lot of potatoes and onions, you know, a lot of kind of more mechanized crops, along with a lot more labor-intensive row crops from orchards to the, you know, the newest crop that's been grown here really, really effectively is wine grapes. So we are a growing wine region. The Columbia Viticultural District is one of the largest actually in the United States. So really the great thing about the Tri-Cities is it's not just one industry. It's not just one area of expertise. We've really got all these different industries that balance us out. In addition to the French fries, we also got the DOE plant in common. So I used to do economic development in Paducah, Kentucky, and yeah. we had a uranium enrichment plant. And it didn't shut down until five or six years ago. So I think y'all were ahead in the shutdown. So now it's going through the cleanup type stuff. And hopefully one day they'll have a lab of some kind there. But it's just, it's interesting. So when I was there, I studied your area and Oak Ridge, Tennessee and Savannah River. And so I kind of studied all those. And it's just amazing. Not only, you know, what those facilities did for us back during the war days, but all the economic impact those things kick out to this very day. Paducah now's transition to cleaning up the plant. They've got over a thousand people working out there just cleaning the thing up. Yeah. Isn't Piketon right across the river from Paducah? Yeah. Is that well, it's not yeah. right across the river, but it is across the river from Kentucky up in the Ohio okay. area. Yeah. Yeah. So Piketon, they still do uranium enrichment. There's a new type of fuel and there's actually new nuclear reactors. So, you know, the kind of history of nuclear reactors for electrical production in the U.S. is has been a long history, but the latest iteration is really these small modular reactors. So DOE's put some dollars in funding right now. The first one's going to be built Idaho National Lab in Idaho at Idaho Falls, but we have a partner here called Energy Northwest. So they're actually formed and owned by some public utility districts that owns the only working nuclear generator in the Pacific Northwest. And they have partnered with two companies that are planning to potentially build two small modular reactors here in the Tri-Cities. Nuclear power really has a new opportunity, really about carbon-free electrical generation. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens federally. But here in Washington, we have a carbon capture standard. So by 2045, we got to have all of our electrical production that comes without carbon associated with it. So it's actually a big economic driver. And we're looking yeah. for you know, forecasting a lot of jobs to come out of it, just like, I don't know, Paducah's, you know, got those opportunities too, but these new nuclear reactors are actually fueled by high assay, low yield uranium that comes out of Piketon. I think that's the only place in the country that's actually still doing it. So yeah. 
I all those that, communities you named, Chad, are all connected. You know, we're yeah. all kind of in the Energy Communities Alliance for sure. So I left there in 14. It's been six years now, but I remember there was talk of all that back then. And of course, yeah. I don't follow that anymore. And then there was brand new administration. So who knows what, what they I learned with yeah. politics. Every right. two years, you had a whole different set of issues. So talk about your organization. I know it's a pretty good size organization and all the different things y'all do as it relates to economic development. Yeah, so it really does have the connection with the federal side, like we talked about going back to the Manhattan Project. But we were actually formed in 1963 as the Tri-Cities Nuclear Industrial Commission. So nuclear was actually part of our name when we started. And the work that we did back then wasn't necessarily your traditional economic development. It was really focused on kind of leveraging those federal investments in plutonium production to bring other new nuclear opportunities to the region. And so through that, we've always done a lot of federal lobbying. And so over the years, like talk about the transition from plutonium production to other opportunities into cleanup now at Hanford, we have a federal lobbyist that we have a contract with that we support every year. And so we work really actively to make sure that the federal budgets that apply to our local organizations, be it DOE or Pacific Northwest National Lab, that those budgets are at the right amounts. So we have a really, really close relationship with all of our congressional offices as we have for, you know, over 50 years. And so that's a big part of what we do. But then, you know, we do the traditional economic development. So obviously attraction, business recruitment and expansion, and then startup entrepreneurial opportunities. But I think we're kind of unique in that we've got that high concentration of scientists at the lab and you know what happens in a community as you know very well is that they kind of spill over into the community and so gives us great opportunities for startups and new initiatives with new companies let's transition into your story then how did you get into economic development i know you came from idaho before here so what kind of first attracted you to this industry you know, I worked in the private sector after college for, you know, 15 years or so, and then um, had lived in Florida and Illinois and Alaska and Washington and Idaho and kind of, you know, moved around, did different things in the private side. And then I moved to a little town called Sandpoint, Idaho, which is almost up in the panhandle, almost into Canada. And for some reason, I decided to run for public office as a county commissioner for two years. And as happens in elections, you know, (laughs) I was only a county commissioner for two years. But from that, I had kind of networked into the local economic development organization. They needed a new executive director at the time. And so I needed a job and they needed somebody to run that organization. So I really started, and that would have been back in 2007, in that role, small office, small town, kind of a resort ski town. But because it was such a cool place to live, we actually attracted some companies that, you know, were global headquarters and stuff. So it was kind of a unique opportunity. Rode that through the recession, right? I mean, you couldn't see it coming into it, but we went all the way through the recession. So we had pretty big shutdowns through that. And, you know, those are the times I think we all know when economic development is focused on the most, right? When things are going good and things are booming, That's right. everybody's like, well, you know, it just happens organically. But when things get bad, that's when people go, we need economic development. I think there's a lot more, you know, public presence for that. So I'd say I kind of cut my teeth on it through those times. And then from there transitioned into uh, Lewiston, Idaho, and we actually did cross border. So we did Clarkston, Washington and Lewiston, Idaho. They're right across the, literally the river from each other, the Snake River in Idaho and Washington. So was there about a year and a half before you connected with me on LinkedIn and I was able to go through this process that you guys facilitated and was able to be chosen for this role, which we love the Tri-Cities. It's a really, really good place to be. And 
it's got the mechanisms of economic development that we all think about, you know, whether you do some of the training that y'all are doing or go through IEDC or something like that, you know, when it comes to attraction, I think your community has got to have certain things that you can sell, you know, here in the Tri-Cities, man, we got them coming out of our ears. we got a lot to sell. And so it's really led to a lot of success here in the region. Yeah, you got river ports, you have rail, you've got airport with connections. I know at least to Denver, I think. Where all do y'all connect with your airport? Yeah, we actually have seven direct cities. So we've got Delta United, Alaska, and Allegiant. So you can fly directly here to seven different cities, but we connect into all the big hubs, Denver, Chicago, and you know, these kind of vary because of COVID, but right. Seattle, Denver, Chicago, and Salt Lake. Thank you, Carl. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. We'll be right back with a lot more with Carl Dye after this. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other builders and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com book yourself a demo and see if this can help your community have more success it's interesting you mentioned how in bad times economic development is more needed i just thought of that the other day a year ago i was starting to have mayors and county commissioners tell me at two and three percent unemployment we didn't even know if we need economic development anymore and then covid hits and now they're all going to have sales tax problems and down here, we've got uh, Shell Oils closing a refinery between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. And the paper put out a statistics on a, the tax revenue annually that's going to be gone. $25 million to that parish is gone. It was like $6 million to the schools, $19 million to the sheriff, so on and so forth. A year. I'm not talking 10 years from now. And so I'm going to keep that article. So the next time when times are good, when somebody argues me that this isn't important, I can remind them how important it is. And that plant's closing. I'm not sure it was so much political as it is. The demand for oil is down. Yeah, that's a great point. I think, you know, we've all been through some of those transitions. Being from Washington here in Idaho, back in the 80s, we went through a big transition from a lot of timber harvesting, you know, so federal government... Oh, yeah. During the 80s and into the 90s, because of different reasons, cut back their timber harvest. It had a huge effect on towns. And I think y'all hopefully don't see it, you know, to the extent that it happened up here. But when you shift away from that base industry, that's the big driver and pays a wage scale that's significantly higher than the average or the median, it's tough to replace those jobs. A lot of towns locally here in the Pacific Northwest that are still haven't recovered from those good days. So I hope you all don't have that problem in you know Louisiana and the Gulf states that are so tied into the petroleum industry because, man, it's tough. I mean, nobody's driving their cars right now. So outside of all the environmental legislation and all the regulatory environment, 
there's still a demand issue that petroleum's going to be real hard pressed to transition yeah, to. That's exactly right. Yeah. And you know, when I went to high school, just a lot of my classmates, they went to work offshore and they make real good money. I mean, they yeah. make very good money and most of them don't just save it all. They spend it, which is good for the economy. And right. now, now you got the whole demand issue side of, it. you know, people always talk politics Well, this party wants rid of all this one. Don't I'm talking demand. Yeah. If you got no demand, it doesn't matter who. It doesn't matter who wants what. When you're cutting your airplane flights and all, and that's a lot of oil and gas you're talking about. I had a chance to go to Beaumont, uh, Texas, to a refinery down there with a friend of mine from Idaho. And he's, it's an interesting story. He's actually a big steam engine guy. And they actually use steam engines in that refinery to still do some of the refining processes for jet fuel specifically. But I remember when I was down there a few years ago, what they told us at the time was, you know, and this was before, this was when things were booming and everybody was using a lot of petroleum products that they were trying to consolidate their plants into plants that had the most efficient outputs. You know, I don't know that they saw this thing coming, but they definitely knew that they were going to have to lower their costs. And so they were shutting down older plants that might've just been yeah. single stream, but like out of this plant, you know, they were doing different products for the plastics industry. They were obviously doing jet fuel, diesel and gas, but you know, there's so many things that come out of petroleum. It's going to have a big effect on y'all's economy. And to your point, it's the reason that we're all in economic development, right? Like we got to have that balance. We can't put all our eggs in one basket. That's exactly right. Well, I know you're not far from Pullman. How far is it from Pullman, Washington to uh, the Tri-Cities? Yeah, Pullman, Washington is just a little over two hours. And y'all got a branch campus of Washington State there, don't you? We do. We have WSU Tri-Cities that kind of specializes in some of the winemaking and vinicultural degrees and some of the things that are connected to the nuclear industry as well. So Carl's wife is a big Washington State fan, and that's where we got Mike Leach from. So, Carl, about two <laughs> months ago, I would have been ecstatic over that, and now I'm starting to scratch my head about it. I think y'all got a good coach. That guy won at Hawaii. That's at Washington State now. And You know, the thing with Leach, you know, we beat LSU, and everybody was excited. But now he has kicked off, I guess, any guy that causes any trouble at all, which I understand, you know, you got to have discipline. But we got nothing left on the team. And so he's getting beat like we barely beat Vanderbilt Saturday. So I don't know how long the fans are going to take it before we turn off. We'll put up with a lot if you beat Ole Miss. But if he goes out and loses to Ole Miss, we're going to start turning on him. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't looked at Coach Leach's contract to see what what his time frame is. But I will say that, you know, he went through a similar process here at WSU when he first came up. You know, and obviously in between Texas Tech and WSU, he had some years where he wasn't working. But I think for any coach, you got to give them some time. You know, they got to do a good job recruiting. They got to get their guys in there. And I think it's tough in that transition. Uh, you know, we all see it in different things that we do. It's the same thing with coaching. I'll say that Coach Leach is a really, really interesting guy. You know, talking about Mississippi, somebody that we still follow and think the world of is Gardner Minshew. Man, I just feel for that guy at Jacksonville. We've been cheering him on all the way out here from the West Coast, as many yeah. Cougar fans do, because we consider him one of our own. And I know his sister played – volleyball at Mississippi State and there was that opportunity Mississippi State chose not to go with it but he did great things at WSU in his last year coach Leach did this really cool thing where he had a it was actually a local county I think it was a county assessor that had been a history teacher and stuff and they actually taught a class that they live streamed through WSU that the last session of it you could watch and he's such an interesting guy, Coach Leach, that, yeah. you know, history and obviously pirates and stuff. He's got that place in Key West. He's a real interesting guy. And I think he's taken his really intellectual, interesting approach to football, which the air raid is 
I think it's a really great system when it works, like it did with LSU when they don't adjust your scheme. <laughs> but I think it is kind of a one-trick pony, man. And we saw that even in Gardner's year. Like, they were doing great. They beat Oregon. I mean, we had game day here, which was huge. I mean, it was huge for the WSU faithful out there. But then when it snowed in Pullman, which it does in November against the Huskies, you all don't have to worry about it down there. But if you're going to play football in the snow, you better have a running game. And the air raid is not a running game. <clears throat> Thank you, Carl. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. We'll be right back with a lot more with Carl Dye after this. In June of 2020, Next Move Group launched a new initiative called The Movement, and we already have more than 100 economic developers as part of our movement. The movement was really built to help improve the quality of lives of economic developers. It helps economic developers land more deals, helps them get along better with their board and elected officials, helps them deal with the media, even helps them learn how to build their resume if they want to look for a new job. So thank you to our first 100 members, and if you want to join the movement, go to the nextmovegroup.com backslash movement to learn more. Well, and we know what he's doing is just so radically different than what we did. So I don't think yeah. any of us are surprised that it's taken time. What shocked us was how good we looked against LSU. You know, so that got everybody. <laughs> I saw your video on that, man. I'm like, man, Chad is going big on this. <laughs> I think we would better understand this if we were 0-7. But when we gained 800 yards or 700 yards on LSU, and now we can't get 200 on Arkansas, it's a real head scratcher. (laughs) No, and I I will say for uh, WSU and the Cougars, man, the Coach Rolovich we got in there now, we think the world of him. He did some great things, you know, only had the first game, but that run and shoot that he's got seems really balanced, you know, and and we're looking forward. We've got Oregon coming up this weekend, so – you know, I don't want to jinx it and be overly optimistic, but Delora, the quarterback that he brought with him from Hawaii, that kid's – I mean, for a true freshman, man, he's got some confidence. It's cool to yeah. see. Well, he did a good job of Hawaii, and I watched a little y'all Saturday night. I picked Washington State. We have a picking league. I picked Washington State over Oregon State. I nice. think he's a good coach. And I think Leach's stuff will work, but I think he's going to have to make one adjustment. He's going to have to get a quarterback that can run a little. And I know he doesn't want him to, but – Patrick Mahomes ran the air raid at Texas Tech. And now look at him, and he's the best quarterback in the NFL. And he runs once in a while just enough, just enough that the other teams got to respect it a little bit. I know that's not what Leach wants to do, but Patrick Mahomes ran that system, and it seemed to work for him. (laughs) No, you're right. And I think with Gardner Minshew, you know, in his last year here at WSU, you saw that. Although he's not on Patrick Mahomes, he probably has more mobility that tends towards Patrick but you know under the air raid system at WSU they had pocket passers too that that put up huge numbers and set you know a lot of records that still haven't been broken from Luke Falk that you know went to the Jets and some other teams and started for a little bit and struggled like the guy last year Anthony Gordon I mean they were more pocket passers so I think he can do it either way I think to your point it comes down to the quarterback that you get what their skills are and you know how flexible it can be because yeah. I don't think there's that many plays in the playbook man I think it's sort of like get open and yeah. go run around and try to pass it to somebody if you can <laughs> well and we've never had that good a quarterback other than Dak Prescott but Mississippi produced Brett Favre and Peyton Manning and Eli Manning so we ought to find one somewhere that'll want to run this that want to run this system that's right there's something in the water down there hey Gardner Minshew man he's he's from that's right I think he was so. pedal maybe he yeah. was, I know he's from Mississippi. I think he was from a little town called Pedal, if I remember correctly. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's some kind of a pretty close to Jackson, I believe. It was just like a suburb of Jackson. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, Carl, well, thank you for being with us. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, appreciate the chance to be on, Chad, and have this discussion. It's a good one. And again, I got to thank you for reaching out to me on LinkedIn and connecting with me and making that personal contact, which kind of inspired me to go for this job that led to me being over here. And I think anything we can do to bridge the east-west gap and, you know, y'all are doing some good things out here in the west too and obviously have that base down south and there's things we can do together that support each other um we're definitely open for it and we have really grown out west in the last year we were talking before we got on here just our podcast and our youtube i mean in the last year we've done the search year do uh, year in we did cheyenne wyoming we did west fargo north dakota's not west but you know it's just a totally different geography for us we've got two or three site selection clients in california so we've really grown tremendously just in the last year. So it's amazing what this technology can do. So what we really try to do is help the small to mid-sized communities. And what I find is you can be a suburb of LA and have the very same issues as a suburb of Birmingham, Alabama. Even though you people may think, oh, politically you're different and all, you got the same issues. And so what we have found is if we really stick to what we know best, which is small to mid-sized, pretty much we all have the same issues and think somewhat alike. I'll just say coming from some smaller communities and now being in bigger for me, but still being definitely mid-sized in the whole national scheme is that I think your message to small communities really resonates because the way I started out in it, like there wasn't a playbook, there wasn't a guidebook. And I think that's pretty universal and, you know, definitely supportive of IEDC and other national organizations. But a lot of times when you're that small town and that small community, some of the things that people talk about on a bigger scale from attraction to marketing and stuff like that, you really just don't have those opportunities. And so I appreciate what you all put together to try to, you know, add some commonality and bring people together and that training aspect, which is really important for our industry. So I appreciate what y'all are doing. Well, I used to run small town economic development and uh, I was always good friends with all our state people, but sometimes it would make me mad when they would ride to town from, you know, Nashville or some state capitals, you know, Montgomery or uh, Frankfort, Kentucky, and, you know, they'd have all the answers. And their answers would work perfectly fine for Louisville or Lexington, <laughs> but I wasn't I sure they would work for rural. <laughs> and so I just felt like there was a need out there. In Tennessee, the state capital's in Nashville. And Nashville's a great city, one of the fastest growing cities in the South. But it'd be hard for you to convince me that just because somebody's successful in Nashville, that they can go out to rural Tennessee. You know, it's just a difference, apples and oranges. So yeah, I think that's one of the reasons our message resonates. I think you're right on. I mean, I, I would say that all economic development is local, right? It's between, it's between the person that a group of board of directors choose to do that job and themselves. And they got to figure out locally and literally every town can be different. It doesn't mean that they all got to do the same thing, but you know, what you're doing as far as the training aspect and really that platform where people can learn from each other, man, it's great. Well, tell these folks your website. It's a really good-looking website. If they want to learn a little bit about that community, we'll also put it in our email. No, you bet. It's uh, tridec.org, T-R-I-D-E-C.org is our website. So check us out if you're looking for a great location to do business out in the West that has great transportation, logistics, and a huge talent base, too, which is critical, obviously, even in COVID times. Check us out. We're in the Tri-Cities in Washington. Thanks, Chad. All right, next time we all eat French fries, we won't feel so guilty knowing that a little of that tax money is going to end up back to Tri-Cities. Yes, sir. All right, thanks.